0: Welcome back to Lakes, Woods & Irons, 1380 KLIZ. The Fan, Colin McDonald with you, along with Chris Foley. And again, 1380 KLIZ. Also find us on our Facebook page at Lakes, Woods & Irons. Like that Facebook page, and you could be in for some uh, nice prizes. We'll do that again this week. And uh, Chris, uh, the weekend of the year, I guess, with uh, the Masters, it gets everybody in our part of the country, and well, in our country, I think, uh, golf fever. <laughs>
1: oh, no, for sure. For sure. And it, uh, you know, just like usual, it, it, it didn't disappoint on any means.
0: No, kind of the, uh, golf course gets to be the star of the show in a lot of ways. And, uh, uh Augusta was, uh, just absolutely beautiful. And I thought on Sunday it gets down to, uh, Hideki Matsui has the, has the Matsuyama, I should say, has the, has the Matsui's a baseball player. Matsuyama's a golfer. <laughs> he, uh, he didn't play great on Sunday. He manages way around pretty nicely, but there was really no charge from the guys that were three and four back.
1: No, you know the the, the golf course played very difficult, and Xander Shaufley, you know, unfortunately got off to uh, not a very good start. He he, uh, you know, he 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 birdied birdied two, but then he then he makes bogey on three, bogey on four, and double on five. So the pressure was kind of off, um, because they're playing together. But, uh, you know, gosh, he, he, hung tough and, and made a few birdies. And, uh, but Machiavelli, he just, he really plotted his way around the golf course. And the biggest thing was he, other than 15, he really did not make any errors. And that, that's really the key when you're in his position.
0: Yeah. 15, maybe it's, it's almost maybe adrenaline on 15 when he's, <laughs> you know, he's got, uh, He's got to be thinking, I, I might, I just might win this thing, and then he plows one over. But uh, it was, it was impressive. He, he never really wavered, and carrying clearly a country on his shoulders, Chris.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. I mean the the, you know the country of Japan is is golf crazy, and um, even though they you know they don't have a there's not a high density of golf courses. There, there are so many golfers there, and uh, he's he was already a national hero there. And the uh, Japanese players never won a uh, U.S. major, so tremendous pressure on him. But uh, boy, he certainly certainly held up well, and um, it's going to be great for golf in Asia, and great for the game worldwide. And um, you know, he's a player not many of us know much about, but uh, it was sure fun fun watching him.
0: Yeah, he was a guy a couple years back, maybe four or five years back, when it looked like people were talking about him as the next great player. And uh, like so many of these uh, younger guys do, it's so hard to win out there. And he's just been kind of proof of that because he's probably as great a player as he was then, but he just uh, gets his first major now. Uh, I loved some of the trivia that was coming in. Uh, Japan is about the size. Actually, it's a little bit smaller than the state of California, the whole country. They have 2500 golf courses in Japan. Yeah. It's a uh, it's a golf crazy country. The the fans really are fanatical is. and I also heard one of the commentators say it probably be worth about a billion dollars to Matsuyama. Wow. Uh, for in his own country for winning the Masters. So he's sitting
1: pretty good. Yeah, no, impressive. <laughs>
0: and I also and he didn't uh, he doesn't love the press. You know, they they say as many people follow him as follow Tiger, because of the Japanese press. He's got right. uh, you know whatever it is, twenty or twenty-five reporters every week, and at the Masters that was cut way down. And uh, I, they say it he made her relax him a little bit to not have so many reporters from his own country.
1: Yeah, I th- he he has a huge contingent that follows him on a week-to-week basis, and. Um, you know, he, I, I think he's just, he's, he's very shy. It seems like, and, uh, you know, they, he's been criticized cause he doesn't speak English well, but, uh, they say he doesn't speak Japanese well either. He's just so quiet, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, uh, yeah, it's gotta, it's gotta be very, you know, when, when you're under the microscope like that, it's, uh, uh you know, you, you have a, you have a different, uh, level of pressure, I think, than a lot of the players in the PGA Tour.
0: Yeah, it was an uh, extraordinary effort, and uh, it seemed like a pretty likable champion, even though he's not uh, great with the English language. Uh, you know, it just comes across as kind of the the golfers who have uh, what the uh, uh, the feeling about the Masters that you're supposed to have, I guess, maybe the uh, yeah, was, the prestige of it all kind of thing.
1: Yeah, it was great, great hearing some of the interviews of the, the other players, and um you know, their their respect and likability of him and um, you know, the guys that know him pretty well, uh, you know, are very excited for him. So it was cool to see.
0: And Shoffley might be next. He's uh he's knocking on the door, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, he certainly is. He's he's played very well in the in recent majors and it was it was it was great to see Jordan Spieth play so well. Um Yeah. You know, really yeah he makes a a triple and two doubles, uh, for the week. And, um, you know, other than that played pretty flawless golf and, and, uh, you know, right in there on Sunday and, and, um, you know, the player that was so impressive and and unless you follow golf very closely is was Will Zalatoris, And, uh, you know, over the last, you know, really 12 months, there There aren't too many guys in the world of golf who have played better than, than he has. And um, after a sixth-place finish in, in the U.S. Open back in September, follows it up with second place in the Masters. So uh, very impressive impressive stuff from him.
0: Yeah. It was interesting to hear him talk about uh, 10 minutes of golf because uh, first-round leader helped me out, Chris, the English guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Fired a, uh, Justin Rose. Yeah, fired a 67, and uh, he made mention of it after the second round, which was great. You know, Monty Ahmed had his, uh, not 10 minutes, but uh, 10 holes of great golf is what he said, and I thought, yes. that's really true. Golfers get dialed, and all of a sudden, you know, you throw a 31 on the board or a 30, and you play 10 holes and 9 under par, and you're right there, and the rest of the week is kind of just like everybody else.
1: Right, right. Yeah, you know that's so many tour events are won that way. Um, yeah, you, you have a stretch of really good holes, and then just don't make too many mistakes the rest the rest of the way around.
0: Got a nice guest coming up, University of Minnesota, and uh, that'll be fun, Chris. We're going to uh, talk to a pretty uh, successful young golfer from the Gophers.
1: Yeah, looking forward to talking to Angus Flanagan, who's had a. Uh, a great last year uh, with the, with the golfers and fresh off a win last week in, in Indiana.
0: We'll be back with that and more. You're listening to Lakes, Woods and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you, 1380 KLIZ, the fan find us also on Facebook at Lakes, Woods and Irons and on podcast one that thanks to a uh, Minnesota national golf course. Chris Foley with me, of course, and uh, Chris, a very special guest, a young man who's having some golfing success. I'll let you handle the introductions.
1: Yeah, Mac, thanks, and welcome to the show Angus Flanagan, who is a senior at the University of Minnesota uh, from Woking, England. Angus just won uh, the Boymaker Invitational last week. Welcome to the show, Angus.
2: No, thank you guys for having me. I'm super excited.
1: Yeah, but you you've had quite a uh, quite a last year. Um mm-hmm. just one last week, the Boymaker Invitational. you played in a couple PGA Tour events, the Minnesota Champions won the State Open last summer. That's uh that's some pretty high rarefied air, Angus.
2: Yeah, I know. It's been it's been a tough year for a lot of people and obviously for myself, but in the end like gun on results like COVID is probably one of the best things that's ever happened to me because I stayed over here because I was going to be going home um, last summer. But then my dad was like, to be honest, you don't want to get stuck over here because there's nothing going on. So maybe stay out there and see if you've got a couple things to play in. And then in the end, I played a pretty much a full schedule in the summer, um, traveling around, being tested every week pretty much. And yeah, it's been a pretty good year so far. So the last year has definitely been my best year of golf and definitely one that I'm, gonna remember for the rest of my life
1: Yeah. what uh t- tell us how, how did you get to the university of minnesota from walking england Andy?
2: um so i i was kind of late coming to college i didn't really know whether i wanted to do it um i had a family friend that went to texas tech and they were helping me kind of with the whole ncaa stuff. didn't really know how to approach it and They told me I could only contact, like, coaches in my last year, but that was actually coaches could only contact me in my last year of high school, so I was kind of late to doing it. But I was playing down in Florida at the South Beach, and I'd taken a couple, like, unofficial visits to um, Liberty, UAB, and then UCF. And on my way down from UCF to drive down, we stopped off at um, Seminole Golf Club. And it's funny that now I'm playing the Walker Cup at Seminole, that's how I ended up at Minnesota because Bob Ford the head pro there was Justin our head coach's mentor when Justin was playing and it's crazy now I was down there at Christmas with Bob for a couple of days and he was like it's amazing where you've come not even knowing where Minnesota was to now being here for three and a half years and ever since I was at um, Seminole in 2017 I think it was they said your goal should be to get to the Walker Cup in 2021 and here I am now on the Walker Cup squad. It's kind of a dream come true since I was 17 years old almost. So it's funny how Seminole brought me to Minnesota and now Seminole is where the Walker Cup's going to be. You've, you've come full circle. Yeah, it's literally a full circle.
0: Chris is no, a big that's... fan of the Walker Cup, aren't you, Chris?
1: Yeah, you know, Angus, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show because, you know, ne- next to the Masters, the Walker Cup is my favorite event in golf. And, yeah, no, uh,
2: so a lot of people are saying, so I'm honored to play in it.
1: Yeah, it, it, what, what, t- tell us about what What's it mean to represent your com- country in the Walker Cup coming up here in a couple weeks?
2: Um, I think just, obviously, it's a huge honor. Um, it's something, um, I was actually on a podcast like a couple a couple weeks ago and the guy was talking about how like the GB&I squad, I feel like it's a bigger deal being on the GB&I Walker Cup squad compared to the US squad Um, just because it's something that you go to all these clubs back home, because the golfing community back home is pretty small. Um, Everyone seems to know of each other and you see Walker Cup players and it's a very big deal to be a Walker Cup player back home and my dad had one of his best friends play in the Walker Cup when they were younger and going to their home course they had his bag up there his name's graham shaw they had his bag they had pictures of him it was kind of surreal seeing that um and i probably saw that when i was like seven eight years old And since then that was always my dream was to play in the walker cup obviously um so it's definitely an honor and i have to kind of pinch myself sometimes to actually kind of make me realize that i'm playing in it because it still feels like i'm in a dream to be honest at the moment but it'll be a reality when we get there and have all the covid testing obviously at seminole so it'll be fine it'll be fun i'm looking forward to it
1: yeah I, I i'm i'm really looking forward to getting down my my son is actually an assistant at seminole okay and uh you know it, it's interesting because kind of like you you're, you're very similar age he's a couple of years older than you his dream was to work at Seminole during the Walker Cup. So, yeah, uh, it's uh, it, it's going to be quite a deal. I it, it you know the Walker Cup doesn't draw a huge fan base being there, but uh, they're limiting the tickets so so much this year. It's it's uh, uh, it's going to be one of the hardest tickets in sports, I think, to get. Uh, to yeah, know, I know, that. I've heard. But uh, it's it's such a cool event because you can you you literally walk down the center of the fairway with the players uh, mm-hmm. as they're playing They just have a small gallery rope to keep keep players back. But uh, uh, it, it's 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 a great event and kind of along the lines of the the Ryder Cup, but in a much more intimate setting. Yeah,
2: exactly. So it's everyone I've spoken to about the Walker Cup has basically just said to me, cherish every moment and. It's something you'll never forget because it's a one once in a lifetime opportunity. So,
0: probably don't get to wear your gopher hat in the Walker Cup.
2: No, it's all <laughs> the <United laughs> stuff. So, actually, funny enough, got an email this morning about sending all this stuff over here. I was kind of wondering how much stuff am I going to have to carry up to my room because it's probably going to be bag, <laughs> travel bag, clothes, everything. So, there'll be a couple journeys from our mail room downstairs where I live back up to my room.
0: Angus, Chris, and I talk a lot about the social aspect of the game and how you make lifelong relationships. It sounds like it's very similar to that in England. Um, oh, but 100%. Uh, what a great! I, I'm just reading your bio on the 3M Open in Blaine, and your teammate was on the bag. That had to be a lot of fun.
2: Oh yes, yeah, so Thomas Longbella, who is that's main. That's one of the main reasons why I came to Minnesota was on my visit. I was. Kind of going. I went on two official visits. I went to UNLV in Minnesota. I went to Minnesota first, and then UNLV in January. So I think it was minus 15 here and 80 degrees <laughs> in, at UNLV in Vegas. And <laughs> I kind of didn't really get on too well with anyone on the team of, in at UNLV. Obviously, their golf facilities and stuff were awesome, but like I got on really well with um, with Tom, and he kind of sent me a text off And We kept in good contact and. Ever since getting here, Tom, Tom and I have been best friends, and this summer his family helped me. I stayed at theirs, um, and Tom actually helped me win the State Open, because he played in his Wisconsin State Open, so he couldn't play the Minnesota one. Um, so I was like, there's nothing more fitting than him being on the bag and helping me out. So he actually helped me on the 18th to the State Open. I had a 7-iron out at first um, from like 180 yards uphill, and, he was like slightly into win hit six, and I wasn't feeling too good over it. And he was like, no, trust me, you're not going to go long. And I hit my six iron to like two feet and eagled it to win by two. So oh, if nice. he was making decisions like that, I was like, this is perfect to have him in my bag at the 3M. And we'd spent the whole summer together. So I played pretty much every day with him. So it was nothing more fitting than having your best friend on the bag at my first PJ Tour event. Angus, hey, oh, talk about fantastic. your
0: 64 a little bit, the course record at the Minnesota State Open.
2: Um, it's actually it's something we still talk about now because I played with my assistant coach, Matt Rachey, and I think he started off par birdie, and then he realized that he was like three shots behind me because I started off birdie eagle, and he was like, yeah, I, just, I knew then that I had no chance. So <laughs> I kind of, I was hitting my driver really well, and then on the seventh hole, my driver cracked. No, it was on the sixth hole, my driver cracked. So. I had to get Tom to like run. Um, I had to get Tom to run and go grab his driver from his bag because like we had to check with like the rules official if that was possible and everything like that. So I played the sixth hole on my own, and then he ran and got his driver. So I played the last however many holes, twelve holes, using the G400 <laughs> that I'd never really hit before. Oh, wow. <laughs> so in in the end, it worked pretty well. So it was everything was just kind of going well at that point. Um, everything was in cruise control. I felt like I couldn't really do anything wrong. So the Royal golf course is just the course. If you get on the right side of the green on the right side of the hole, like that's are pretty straightforward, They're pretty straight. But if you're on the wrong side of the hole, then you'll have some stuff to do. So I'm pretty sure I hit, I think I hit it the fat side on 17 out of 18 holes. And that definitely helps with having two eagles on your card as well.
1: No question. Oh, that's fun. Angus, t- oh. tell us about, you know, <laughs> playing a high level amateur golf like you do the the level of play is incredible tell us contrast that to you you've gotten to play in two pga tour events now and how, how much different is the pga tour than
2: than the high level of amateur golf um surprisingly enough like i haven't felt like there's too much of a difference um obviously like it's different when you're standing on the range and you've got Bryson DeChambeau Roy McIlroy Brooks Kepka, Jordan Spieth all around you uh, like I had at the Genesis but there's just the way that I kind of took it in there's a lot more distractions on tour than there are at, let's say the Western amateur like you don't have club guys coming up to you being like hey if you need something for the week let me know um and you don't really get like too distracted when I'm at these events like the Western and things like that um just because you're playing against guys you know well, but then when you're on the range at a PGA Tour event and you're seeing Brooks Kepka striping four irons or Bryson hitting drivers, you kind of sit back and watch instead of getting on with your own thing. Um, so that's kind of where I would say the big difference is. It's just kind of obviously I, this whole this saying you're kind of a big fish in a small pool, which I feel like I am in amateur golf. And then you go to a PGA Tour event where no one's really heard of you and then you're this, tiny fish in this massive pool again so it's just kind of how do i grow in size It's just playing a couple more events and getting more situations under my belt and stuff like that so it's i wouldn't say there's a ton of difference at the end of the day it's still golf you just got to get the ball in the hole in the fewest amount of shots but there's a lot more distractions out on tour i would say
1: yeah. and how is that playing you know you you grew up admiring these players, how's that experience getting to play with them finally?
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it is surreal. I, um, I was on the putting green at the Genesis and I had, um, I had like Rory was putting next to me and funny enough at Seminole, Rory's dad's a member and I met Rory at Christmas and we, he was kind of like looking at me again, like I know you from somewhere and I went up to him as like hi. Oh, you remember me from Seminole and he's like that's where I remember you so I kind of I know a couple of guys now out there just from either mutual friends and people back home so it's kind of cool knowing that I met Bryce in my sophomore year at Dallas National Club when we were down in Dallas and he came up to me when we were on the range and like congratulated me for the showcase and I was like I recognize you like I remember like and we were like oh I had a conversation with you at Dallas National and he was like that's where it was from so it's kind of cool having that and those guys out there, they're out there to help people as well. Like, especially during practice, like I practiced with Alex Nara and Jordan, Spieth, and Denny McCarthy one day, and those guys were great to me. Like they showed me how they practice in their practice rounds. Like their caddies helped out with everything, so it was definitely a fun and surreal experience.
0: Do you have uh, much to uh, consider a strength in your game, Angus? Or describe your game a little bit to us.
2: Um, I would say. I definitely I drive the ball pretty well I'm normally someone that's the way I kind of describe the way that I drive like a lot of I, I'm not the biggest of guy I'm like 5'10 but I weigh 155 pounds and I hit it probably like 320 <laughs> so I can get the ball out there for my size and it's quite funny when I play with bigger guys and there'll be ball spotters up there and they point to my ball which they think is the shorter one and they see this little five foot Ten skinny lads kind of (laughs) running up there and they're like oh that's not right so I definitely I drive it well and I putt it well as well when I get my putter rolling from inside 10 feet it's kind of game over in some cases it's I get streaky with my putter and especially this week I kind of chopped and changed putters the last couple weeks and I went back to my old one this week and in the end I played with a guy from um, Michigan State, who I've become really close with, James Paya, and he was like, yeah, as soon as I saw you with that putter and the way you were rolling in the first couple holes, I knew that it was game over for everyone.
1: Angus, so you've got the, the Walker Cup in a couple weeks coming up. What does what the rest of the school year hold for you, and then what, what are your plans beyond uh, beyond the Walker Cup and, and the University of Minnesota?
2: Um, so with we're playing Nebraska this weekend, and then Big Ten's um, and then regionals and nationals. So, And then kind of after school, um, I'm still debating whether to do a fifth year. It kind of depends on like the PGA Tour U rankings and stuff like that. So still kind of in two minds. I've got to make a, some big decisions here coming up. So it's just tough because now I've become, I've got to this level. It's hard making some of these big decisions, but luckily I have my teammates, my coaches, my parents, my girlfriend, and, Everyone close to me helping me through everything, so I'm definitely lucky that I have the resources here to help me through everything.
1: Well, that's great, Angus. You just mentioned the PJ Tour U uh, yeah. rankings, and that—that's a new thing. Ex- explain that to our our audience.
2: Um, so the PJ Tour U rankings is something new that came in this year, and it's for the top five, top five graduating seniors. Status on the Corn Ferry Tour, and then they, for the next year, get to skip to third stage of Corn Ferry Q School, and then from the 6th to fifteen, you either get a choice on Mackenzie, which is Canada, um, PGA, or Latin America, and then for the next year, you skip to second stage of Q School, so it's definitely something, it's a nice reward for playing good golf in college, um, so I'm definitely excited for it, so the rankings actually came out today, and I'm ranked ninth, so that's the lowest I've been on the PGA Tour U ranking. So I just got to that's start fantastic. playing well and get myself to regionals and the team to regionals and then hopefully to nationals to then get my ranking maybe hopefully into the top five and go from there really.
1: Yeah. It's quite a big deal to be able to skip, uh, skip that tour school.
2: Yeah, exactly. So it, should, it should, I'm looking forward to it. It should be fun. So.
1: Well, that's fantastic. Well, Angus, we really appreciate you coming on the show and, and uh, talking about the great year you've had, and uh, we'll be following you at the Walker Cup, and i look forward to seeing you down there in Seminole.
2: Oh, perfect. No, thank you very much for having me, guys. Hopefully you're staying warm. But it's pretty cold out. We're about to go play a song for qualifying, so I've got about 50, five layers on right now. So. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Let's lead those gopher, those gopher boys to uh, victory, Angus.
2: Yes, yeah, definitely. So, thank <laughs> you. Welcome guys. back Happy to days. Lakes, Woods, and Irons with thank Chris you, and Vegas. Colin very McDonald. Much, with Vegas. you, 1380 You're KLIZ, the fan. And irons Find on us on Podcast One KL-I-Z. and also on our
0: Facebook page, Lakes, Woods, and Irons. On Facebook, you can listen back to the program anytime on the Facebook page. And if you like our Facebook page, you'll get an opportunity to win. A little drop-down fill-out will come down for you. You fill that out, and this week we've got some gift cards to Second Swing for you. Gift cards to Second Swing. Just go to Lakes Woods and Iron's Facebook page, like us, and uh, fill out your chance to win. We go now to Chris's interview with Brandon Stokesberry, a short game guru, author of a new book called The Putter Book. So here is that interview on 1380
1: KLIZ. Want to welcome to the show good friend from the state of Louisiana, Brandon Stokesberry. Brandon is the head professional and recently new head professional at Metairie Country Club. Brandon, welcome to the show. Chris, thanks so much, man. It's it's uh it's fun to be back. I appreciate the
3: the kind words and um you know a little bit of oil oiling right now with just just getting started down here. But this is a it's a cool place and a fun journey. So where, thanks for having me on.
1: Where where is Metairie for for our listeners? Metairie
3: is essentially New Orleans. Okay. It is a suburb of New Orleans. Um, we are right on the. Uh, they don't call them counties down here. They call them parishes. But but our golf course is you know 500 yards from the Orleans Parish line. Okay, and so it is essentially. A suburb of New Orleans, um, and so, but it's called Metairie. Metairie's the name of the town, and and uh, Metairie Country Club.
1: Awesome. Well, that last time we had you on the show, Brandon, you had just come out with uh, the we- <laughs> the wedge book, and yep. uh, you, you just recently came out with uh, the putter book, and owner's manual for your green game. So yep. i i uh, i just I just got the book Monday night, Amazon. I had seen it come out. Uh, not long ago, and ordered it right away. And the the only th- I, I had I I've skimmed through it. I haven't gotten to read the whole thing. The only complaint I have, Brandon, is the cover is not nearly as good as the wedge book.
3: Yeah, you know, <laughs> but, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what was funny about that. I had this vision. You know, the putter book had all that mud on the place <laughs> it, right? well. So
1: people I, people would come and try to scrape that mud off the book. Yeah, and, I,
3: I had this vision that I wanted. You know how you. You putt on a green that's been freshly mowed, and you get those little green grass clippings <laughs> on the face and the water. I really tried hard to recreate that, um, and I just I could never get it. The putter I was using, I could never get it to stick, and I ended up trying to go with water, and yeah. it and it just didn't come out quite as as, uh, as visual as
1: I wanted it to. It, but. Well, it's still a cool cover, so... <laughs> But uh, you know, t- tell tell us about the book. It, it uh, you know, in looking through the books, you basically have four kind of skills you have to have to be a great putter, and, and and tell us what those skills are. Yeah, and so you know,
3: a lot of people get caught up in the you know in the technique or in the in the feel, you know, and 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 you as a golf instructor, I mean, you understand that golf's a game of skill, right? And so. A lot of people don't think about putting that way. And, and I broke it down into four, three of which are measurable. Um, four is not really measurable. I call it kind of an intangible. Um, but they are in no particular order, green reading, start line control, speed control, and attitude. Right, And, and, and I talk about how um, a, making a putt is almost like a math problem and each skill has its own part to play, right? So A plus B plus C plus D equals a made putt. Um, and what we do as humans is if we are deficient at one or more of the skills, then we try to use some of more of the other skill to kind of make up for it. And a good example of that is, you know, if you, if you consistently underread read putts, and so if you are weak in that particular skill, then you will either mess with the start line or mess with the speed to try to hit it harder to make up for the fact that you've under the putt, except you don't know you're doing that. Right. And so it becomes this big jumbled mess of trying to figure out why you're not a good putter. Um, and so that's kind of how I broke it down, you know, and I go through the, in the book, how you can measure and evaluate the speed control green reading and distance control skill. And then I talk about the mental side of it, which is attitude and, 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 and I, you know, I, I tried to write as much as I could about that, but I think the one thing I'd want to bring out about that is this: um, I, I keep, I keep swearing that I'm going to um, copyright this quote, right? But um, or trademark this quote. But I'm a big believer that confidence can't be earned; it has to be owned, because statistically, we're terrible at putting. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are, right? I mean, the the best players in the world from 15 feet make 25% of their putts, right. the best putters on the planet, right, and yeah. so if you're sitting around waiting to make putts to be confident that you're a good putter, you're never going to be confident, right, and so you kind of have to own that confidence and believe that you're a good putter because if you put with fear, you're toast, you have no chance, and so um, those are the four skills, and that's kind of how I, I chose to break it out.
1: Great, well, to t- you know, how would you well, let's, let's talk about, you, you talked about evaluating those, and how, how do you evaluate somebody in those those skill sets?
3: Yeah, and so, so what you have to do is you have to isolate them, right? And so I'll take start line control for a good example. I use this test. If I put you on a dead straight 10-foot putt, maybe slightly uphill or, or you know level, um, and I show you it straight, like I hit one in front of you and you see it doesn't break at all and I give you an unlimited amount of time and 10 balls, you take as much time as you want, go through your full routine, whatever you want, how many of those 10 balls can you make? Well, that's pure start line, right? There's there's really no, I mean, speed is involved, yeah. but if you, you know, speed doesn't affect how it breaks. And so if you hit it a little hard, it's still gonna hit the hole, right? Um, So, so speed control is out of the equation and green reading is out of the equation. And so that's pure start line control to put that into perspective. The best in the world will make eight and a half or nine of those out of 10. Now they don't put that well on the golf course. From 10 feet because you have speed control and green reading and all the things that go into it. But if you tell them it's a straight putt, they have wonderful control over their start line. And so that's an example of how I would test the start line control skills. I would put you on that and see how many out of 10 you make. If you make six or seven, you probably play at a reasonably high level for a club golfer, right? You know, you, you probably um, compete in your club championship, even if it's not the championship flight, but mm-hmm. you know you're, you're a reasonable golfer. If you make less than six, we got some start control problems. Um, and that tells me a lot too when I watch you do that because if you miss one, how you react to the putt tells me a lot about what you do when you play right And so if you hit a bad putt, which inevitably happens, yeah. you know and, and you pull it left, if the very next putt, I see you completely change the mechanics of your stroke or your aim to try to stop hitting it left, and now you block one right, that tells me a lot about what happens to you on the golf course and how you manage the deficiency in that skill. So that would be a good example of someone who tries to fix the deficiency in the start line control by adding a little bit more to the to another skill and trying to fix it with their aim, right? And so, um, So that would be an example of how I evaluate that, and there are ways to do that. You know, with 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 green reading and with speed control as well, um, to try to isolate those to see where the where they're deficient, and then once we find out where the problems are, we go right to work.
1: Yeah, and you know, how, how and how would you rank those skills as far as as importance? Distance control, straight yeah, line. That's, a, start that, that's a
3: million dollar question, right? And I, and I think I think if you ask certain people they would tell you, they would give you different answers. My answer to that would be, I think it's a sliding scale based on how far away from the hole you are, mm-hmm. right? And, and so I think as you, as you get short putts, the probably the green reading and the speed control is a little less important, not that it doesn't have importance, but it's a little less important than the start line control skill, right, from, from four feet. When you start getting out into 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 15-ish feet, then that really puts pressure on all three, right? Because you have to be able to control the start line, but you also have to be able to manage how speed control and green reading sort of play into that dynamic. Once you get much out beyond 15 feet, um, you know, the make percentage, even for the best in the world, goes down so low that it really becomes a lag putting game. Correct. Right, and I'm 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 virtually not concerned at all, virtually nil concern about your start line control, and way more concerned about your your distance control and to some con, you know to some extent your green reading. And so I really think it's a sliding scale, uh, you know, based on your your length from the hole. But that answer differs depending on who you ask. Some people will swear that green reading is is by far the most important skill. Some will say speed control. And so I I think based on how you bear out in the in the, the, the evaluations of the three skills, yeah, then that tells us a lot about which ones are more important to
1: you. For sure. You know, when I, regardless of what aspect of the game we're, we're working on, you really have to go after the low-hanging fruit to improve. That's right. To improve, so.
3: That's right. And so again, remember, humans, they'll use the other skills, right? And so it could be that they are, it could be that someone is very, very good at speed control, but it doesn't bear itself out because the other skills are so bad, right? And so green reading is so poor that they have to hit it harder, which shows up as bad speed control, when in fact they may have perfectly good speed control, they just can't ever use their good speed control because they're always trying to make up for bad green reading, right? And so you definitely have to, to... to separate them, evaluate them individually and independently, and then find the low-hanging fruit. Because when you saw that low-hanging fruit, sometimes the other skills start to, to sort of mesh together, and you find out somebody's a lot better at one than you thought because they, were, they, they never got to use it. For sure.
0: That's part one of Chris's interview with Brandon Stooksbury, short game guru and author of The Putter Book and The Wedge Book. We'll be back with part two of that interview next week to assist you with your short game. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley. Colin McDonald with you, 1380 KLIZ the fan. Find us on uh, Facebook at Lakes, Woods, and Irons. And if you like our Facebook page, there's an ent- entry form for you to uh, win some nice prizes throughout the spring and summer here. Second Swing gift cards we have that we're going to give away again this week. Gift cards from Second Swing. Great opportunity for you to uh improve your bag a little bit right chris
1: no question the uh second swing does a great job i have good friends with those guys and help a lot of people with equipment from second swing
0: yeah yeah great commercials too yes that that trick shot gal in the commercial is 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 amazing (laughs) she's great isn't she yeah she sure is hey uh rbc is this week chris we've talked about it a little bit in the past it's kind of your uh stomping grounds wonderful golf course i kind of like the whole event it's uh not a big uh, mashers golf course some of the uh, more accurate swingers have won that tournament over the years and then i and i kind of uh i like the idea of different golf courses coming into play on the pga tour and that's kind of the case at rbc i think
1: yeah rbc you know Town's a great golf course i think short shortest golf course on tour and um, but you know, always brings out a great champion. You don't necessarily have to be a, a bomber to win there, but uh, uh always a f- always a fun event and they've got a great field this year.
0: Yeah, I love I, I love the uh, the plaid jacket idea right after the green jacket and all that. and then uh, Dustin, who didn't play that well in the uh, masters, uh, put his name on the list right away. I don't know if he was scheduled to play or not. I know he's played there before, so number one player in the world's coming to town that that always helps.
1: Yeah, you know it's it's that's kind of a home game for Dustin, growing up in Columbia, South Carolina, only about an hour away. So he'll be a definitely be a fan favorite, and has played uh, played well there in the past.
0: We want to talk a little bit about uh, a lot of still off season here. A little white stuff fell the last few days, Chris, and uh, the nice thing is when it does melt off a little bit, you can already see the lush green grass underneath, which we're all looking forward to. But uh, people can always work on their short game at home can't they Chris or with you <laughs>
1: yeah for, for sure and then, you know that's it seems when, when you come out of uh, out of the winter and you haven't done a lot that that's usually the hardest part of the game to uh, uh, you know to reconnect with and uh, getting back that s- s- sense of touch and feel and um, you know a lot of things you can do to uh, to work on your short game and don't necessarily have to be at the golf course and uh, everything from from putting inside and you know if you've got decent you know carpet that you can putt on it just a matter of you know kind of working on your distance control with the putter if you one one drill I like if it is to you know kind of putt to putt to a wall and put balls at like five foot increments and have five to ten balls and and go back five ten fifteen twenty twenty five feet and putt at each one of those balls and just trying to get them to the wall, but without touching the wall. So each putt, you're hitting at a, you know, a different length and trying to control that speed. And, you know, kind of the same thing if you, if, if you can get out in the backyard and just uh, hit a few pitch shots, get a, get a target and work on, uh, you know, just regaining that touch of, of sense and feel or of feel uh, and distance to try to. Uh, so once you get out to the golf course, you're a little sharper in those areas of the game.
0: I thought one of the best uh, tips just for me, and everybody kind of takes a little bit, uh, takes something they can use, but I love that 30-foot drill that you have uh, for putting and the kind of before you go out to play, uh, just get 30 feet away, and, and uh, you don't necessarily even have to have, have a cup there, just lag, lag to 30 feet and lag to 30 feet and lag to 30 feet.
1: Yeah, you know, a great way to, you know, kind of calibrate your stroke, so to speak, is is you just put two tees in the ground at at 30 feet apart. So basically 10 paces for most of us. Uh, One pace is about a yard, so 10 paces, you're at 30 feet. And and take three balls and, and hit them back and forth to those tees, so you're going in a different direction. And it's a great way to calibrate the speed of the greens on a daily basis and get a feel for distance before you go out there on the, on the golf course. And, uh, you know, like we've talked to before, really one of the keys, keys to, to good putting is, is simply distance control. And it's all about, uh, uh having a feel for that distance.
0: I want to thank our guest today, Angus Flanagan, a youngster playing for the Gophers and he's from England and, uh, going to play in the Walker cup, pretty thrilling. And Brandon, uh, Stooksbury to you and, uh, Brandon kind of compare notes on short game. He's kind of a guru in that category, Chris. He,
1: he really is, and uh, Brandon's a, a great friend and uh, you know great mind in golf. And I'm always uh, I'm always seeking him out when I don't have an answer. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> Boy, I'm seeking you out all the time. I never have answers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, you've been listening to Lakes Woods and Irons again. You can find us on Facebook at Lakes Woods and Irons, and also Podcast One. If you like us on Facebook. Uh, we have a chance to uh, win some prizes. So just like us, and there's a little uh, chance to win that will come down. You can fill that in, and uh, this week we're going to do, do away with some second swing gift cards. So opportunity for you there to check out the Facebook page. You've been listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, man. On 1380 KLIZ.